Our, that's our college trio. Those guys are our college guys. And I think about all these groups. They send these groups around trying to promote their colleges. And boy, our sticks around here. But boy, they do a great job. Amen. Josh has been working with those fellows. And boy, they're really coming around good. And I, that was exciting. That's good stuff right there. They sang at the nursing home today too, by the way. They don't just sing for crowds. They sing for Jesus. Amen. Even though we had a pretty good crowd at the nursing home too. We really did. Had a good group today. It turned out really well. Cody preached. Did a great job. Boy, what a good job he did preaching. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just start verse, chapter 30, verse 1. Let's do that instead, okay? That verse 6 is kind of the focus of the whole lesson here in this particular lesson of the series. Secrets of Successful Living, What to Do When Trouble Comes. So let's go ahead and get back into this a little bit. We'll summarize very quickly and then we'll jump right on into the new material. First Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, 
either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Again, what a powerful passage as we read through this 1 Samuel chapter 30, just the first six verses, we are introduced to David and his men and we are very uh, clearly introduced to a situation that seems hopeless. And yet we're going to find ultimately that God does indeed rescue these ladies and these children and reunites their families again. But boy, in the meantime, there's a lot of issues of much trouble that David finds himself in. So much trouble that the men, the Bible tells us, thought of stoning him. Uh, They were upset with David and uh, as a result of their grief. And so when it's all said and done, they could find no relief. And David himself, having everyone against him at that point in his life, turns to the only one that can truly bring great comfort in our lives. And that's the Lord Jesus. And uh, the Bible tells us here, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And so we see here this passage and we used it as a springboard. We talked about the fact that uh, the reality of trouble in every life. And, and we said that David's trouble is very real and so is yours and mine. And we said that David was in trouble although he was a child of God. How often do we find ourselves if we'd be honest, wondering why God allows this to happen or that to happen. I mean, I'm your child and I'm doing my best to serve you and I want to be pleasing in your sight, but why then do you allow this in my life? And the truth is, is that David was a child of God and this still came into his life. And so we shouldn't really be so shocked or caught unawares when trouble comes in our lives. As a matter of fact, trials in this life are as normal as breathing. And the truth is, is that they should be expected. We also said the Lord permitted David's trouble. Not only did David have trouble, but the Lord permitted it. Again, this is a pretty tough pill to swallow too sometimes. To think that God would allow tragedy or trials or difficulties in our lives, that's a tough one to swallow. I mean, you'd think about as you think about a parent, you'd say, well, parents don't want anything to happen to their children. Well, there are times in a parent's life when they allow their child, if they're smart, to do some things sometimes that may bring some consequences. I remember uh, just even years ago, the children, you know, every kid likes to play with the stove. Well, it doesn't hurt a child to get a little burned finger a little bit here or there. Now, I'm not talking about setting the fire and let it watch it roast, you know, like you know, you're roasting weenies or something. But I mean, if it's hot up on that, that stove, I'm not talking about red hot. I'm not talking about it melts their skin off their flesh, uh, you know, off the, the body or anything like that. But nothing wrong with that little child reaching up and you say, no, don't touch. And you just kind of turn away and let that kid touch it and get burnt. Let me tell you, they'll learn not to do it. And they'll learn that what you said was to protect them. And I'm not, I'm not talking again. I'm not talking about them, you know, here, son, put your arm in this meat cleaver and, you know, <laughs> You know, I'm not talking about stuff like that, okay? So don't lose sight of what I'm talking about. But there are times that things happen. And, 
And so we, we, we teach them, you know, don't jump off those steps, and they just don't want to quit. And so sooner or later, they jump off those steps, twist an ankle, and they learn mom and dad wouldn't see. Now, the bad part about that is you end up, if you're, hopefully you don't have to take them to the hospital or anything, right? Because then it costs you money. That's not a fun lesson for you either. But anyway, uh, the fact is, is that sometimes it helps us. And God's going to allow things in our life too, as we're going to see. And it's for our own good in the long run, although at the time, it doesn't seem like it. Then we said, not only does the Lord permit trouble, but we went on to, to say that, that um, well, actually, we, we kind of landed right there. That's where we ended. Uh, I was going to say one more thing about that, that the biggest lesson that he wants us to learn is to trust him. Even when we can't understand the whys of his dealings, he wants us to trust him. And that's why he allows things in our life. He allows those in our life. So let's go ahead and pick up where we left off. So if I could uh, just... Real quickly run through again, David's trouble was very real. David was in trouble, although he was a child of God. And then we finally said, the Lord permitted David's trouble. Tonight I want to begin by saying and sharing this. David's trouble was in a very real sense his own fault. David's trouble was in a very real sense his own fault. And so we're going to go ahead and consider that and maybe even another one to close out this section. Uh, I have a whole other section, by the way. Uh, we'll deal with this. This is a major topic. To me, uh, dealing with trouble is an issue that needs to be addressed. And so we're trying to, trying to cover it a little more thoroughly than normal, but I think it's important that we do this. As we said, all of us have trouble. And sometimes if we don't have the proper perspective, we can lose sight of God and who he really is and what his purpose for it is, and also forget that he's actually working in our life through it all. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask, Lord, for your leadership. Help us to learn something that will better us as a believer, that will enable us possibly to even help others. Lord, we know that you have a purpose in everything we go through, but so, Lord, there are times when we can begin to question that in our own frailty, in our own humanness, our own flesh. Lord, we are weak and you are strong, and we need you to remind us always that you are doing a perfecting work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to accept your will, your way. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So David's trouble was in a, a very real sense his own Fault. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. <clears throat> We're going to go back a little bit before this particular situation and try to identify maybe how in the world could it have possibly been David's fault. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. We read over there in the book of Acts. We understand that David was a, a unique servant of God. That's true. But David was still a man, and we're going to see that David didn't always make the best decisions at all, the, all times. And you know what? You and I are capable of making some pretty bad decisions, too. And so we're going to see a decision that David made that ultimately landed him in a bad spot. Look what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. You have to remember that David is on the run. Remember, he's, uh, he's fleeing from Saul. Boy, he had killed Goliath. He had gone out in battle for Israel and for Saul, the king. And uh, he had had tremendous victories. Remember, the, the women and the ladies would stand and say, you know, Saul has slain his thousand, David his ten thousands. Boy, I mean, Saul was a jealous king. And Saul was upset with David because David just seemed to garner all of the attention and people really loved David and it just seemed like he was the heir apparent so to speak even though Jonathan the son of Saul should be on the throne and Saul was not happy he was extremely jealous and he did not appreciate the attention he was losing and as a result of a number of things he turns and begins to seek the life of David 
So David is now on the run from the king of Israel. And may I say that if you're a king in those days, you had tremendous power and you had access to all kind of of, of means by which to accomplish your will. And boy, King uh, Saul was determined to kill David. Well, David, of course, we know is trusting the Lord and he is on the run. And in this particular case, we find that David makes a decision now. He says in his heart, you better be real careful what your heart says to you too. Why is that? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, I'll tell you what, if you've got a promise, you can believe the promise much more quickly than you can believe your own heart. You better be careful with that heart. David, in this case, the Bible says, and David said in his heart, he really believed this. He was convinced that this was his only out. I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. What is ruling David at this point? Preservation, fear. The Bible says God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So we know that David is being motivated by something other than God's presence and power in his life at this point. Hey, listen, he's human. He's just flesh like you and I. So many times as we think about him there whacking off Goliath's head, you know, uh, there once he had taken him down, we think, man, there's, this guy is superhuman. This guy is unbelievable. This guy, hey, this guy was just a young man. And so we're going to see as he grows, he's still just flesh. And we find out later that he does exhibit that flesh in so many ways as he moves along in life. But he also is a man after God's own heart. One of these days, maybe I'll share with you what it means to be perfect. No, and I'm not talking about me. I'm I'm being honest. Perfect with God. Perfect, you know, perfect in the sight of God. Because sometimes we get the idea that that's an impossibility. But let me tell you something. That it's not talking about every deed and every action being perfect. What we're going to find is that when a person is totally and completely dependent upon God, they are perfect in God's sight. you got to understand that things are a little different. And David, boy, he depended on God. But there come times in David's life as well that he slipped. And in this case, he begins to dwell in his own, uh, his own fears and he starts to think about his situation and circumstance and he says in his heart, man, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. There's no way out. I'm going to have to escape into the land of the who? Now, wait a second. Last time I checked, what, what was Goliath? Wasn't he a Philistine? And all those people, uh, you know, all those uh, victories in battle, I mean, weren't, weren't many of them the Philistines? And weren't they the arch enemy of Israel? Of course they were. And he says, you know what? There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. By the way, I know this isn't the message, but boy, I'm making it, I guess. The fact is, is it's interesting here, I should speedily escape. You know, when you're under the gun and you're having a lot of pressure in your life and there's fear or there's trepidation or there's some kind of burden that's laying on your shoulders, be careful about making speedy decisions. You be real careful with that one. So nonetheless, he says, there's nothing better for me, really, than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of the hand, out of his hand. I mean, he's going to grow weary of searching. He's going to realize that I'm gone. It'll be useless. He'll stop searching for me. I'll be good to go. I'll be free. He'll forget about it. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish and the son of uh, Maach, king of Gath. So David here, he... 
flees from Saul and he seeks refuge with the Philistine king and a Philistine city, in a Philistine city. So in a sense then, what we find here, and again, we can go ahead and we can justify it all day long. We can go ahead and say that it's okay and this is exactly what God wanted. I'm not going to debate whether what God wanted or didn't want. But what I am going to say is this. It's interesting to me that he ran to the enemy. I, I, I mean, I know that he's running for his life, but I mean, there's more at stake than just his life here. And in this particular case, he, he literally turns to the world and his enemies to escape his plight. Have you ever known somebody that was hurting or had problems and they turned to the world and the enemy for relief? Of course, we're all human again. If we're not careful, we can get sucked into that. David is a prime example and so many times as believers, we sometimes forget that's a possibility in our lives. Oh, I would never do that. I would never turn from God. I would never leave the church. I would never, I would ne- Oh yeah, okay. You be careful about that word never. It's a long time. Boy, you get discouraged enough or you get enough, uh, enough problems in your life sometimes. If you're not careful, you turn to the world. You can turn to the world. I'm telling you, you got to be careful. The devil's very shrewd and he is a deceiver. And in this particular case, he chooses to turn to the world and his enemies to escape his plight. Well, this decision would spark a chain reaction that would ultimately lead to the present situation. He wouldn't have been there in Ziglag if he hadn't ran to the enemy. Now again, I, I'm not ripping on David big time because listen, I, I'm human. And I understand that, that but, but I'm telling you that we're going to see that to some degree, in a real sense, this was kind of David's fault. You say, I, I don't know, man, David. I mean, look at David. Hey, listen, he's human. He can make mistakes too. You may not know this, but I make mistakes. Ask my wife. (laughs) I share quite a few of them. (laughs) But you know what? The lapse of faith that David demonstrated was a very serious one. And David had backslidden in that regard. And you know what? There's not a child of God that can backslide and escape God's chastening or the consequences of such action. Just can't do it. David may not have been directly responsible for the invasion and the outcome of the invasion, But he was indirectly responsible. And you know what? His bad judgment consequently led others into the fire as well. You know, it's interesting that when we make bad decisions, especially we who are a little older, and even some of the younger ones, some of the the, the older teenagers with younger teenagers, we can lead others into, boy, bad, bad, bad places. We often underestimate our influence. We, we like to believe, kind of like Charles Barkley said years ago, I don't want to be a role model. Well, it didn't matter whether he wanted to be a role model or not. As a basketball player making millions of dollars in the NBA, he was a role model. And there were young children watching him around the country, and his antics were something that people would emulate. And, you know, he's a great announcer now, so to speak, and you know why? Because he just says whatever he wants, whenever he wants to. And people like that kind of attitude and mentality. But can I tell you, a bull in a china shop is not what a believer ought to be. You and I ought to be a little more careful how we speak. Now, I'm not putting him down. I I like to watch Charles Barkley and his little commentary. 
partly his rebellious spirit as a young man has been carried over into that. And I kind of like rebellion because you know what? I'm a son of Adam. But now I'm a son of God. And as a son of God, I got to dismiss the rebellion side. And so David, although he is certainly a man that loves God and I believe wants to please the Lord, he's making a few judgmental errors here. He's choosing to make some bad choices. He's going a little bit in the wrong direction. Unfortunately, others are following him in those bad directions. And so why did God permit all this then? Well, it seems clear that the Lord allowed trouble to come into David's life in order that he might correct him and ultimately redirect him. Psalm chapter 55 verse 19 says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. When's the last time you changed anything in your life? When's the last time I changed something in my life? I'm talking about in relationship to God and his word. Do you know when there's no changes in those areas of our life for prolonged periods of time, it is a direct evidence and proof positive that we don't fear God? You say, that's kind of harsh. Well, I'm just, the verse seems to lend itself to this. And God wants us to be very sensitive to his spirit and to his word. I'll be frank with you. It's easy to get hard and cold toward the word of God. It really is simple and easy to start to say, well, you know, I'm good enough. You know, and as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I find myself warring with that at times too because I think, well, you know, I could be doing a lot worse. But that's not what God wants for me. God wants me to be doing far more than just simply being good enough. He wants me to be everything he called me to be. And he wants you to be the same. And so in this case, we notice Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Again, David's life is to be placed back in order. He wants it to, God wants his life corrected and redirected. He's trying to work in David's life, and he's allowing. Now, David allowed, in a sense, this trouble was kind of, kind of a, a result of some decisions that David made in the past. And I'm not convinced, and again, someone may be able to prove me wrong down the road one day, I'm not sure. But I'm just not convinced that David should have went to the enemy and to the world to find safety. I'm not sure about that. I think God was big enough to protect him. Now again, I, I, I know it's easy for me on this side of the desk and this side of history to say those things about David and his situation. But God has proven himself over and over again to be big enough to overcome our enemy if that's what he chooses. Do you think Saul could have really killed David whether he stayed in Israel or whether he would have been in the land of the Philistines? Either way. I just don't think so. I think if God intended him to be king of Israel, he was going to be king of Israel whether he ran off to the enemy or not. Now, notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. We're talking obviously about the children of Israel. Remember they come to a a, a place where they're told to go into the promised land. And we know that they sent out these spies. The spies come back. Man, they're touting every wonderful thing that was there in the promised land, the milk and the honey and all of that. But they also talked about those giants. Remember those giants? Where's grasshoppers in their sight? They're so big, we're so little, there's no way we can take the land. They discouraged the people, and as a result of that, they, because of the Bible goes later on to tell us in Hebrews, because of unbelief, they failed to go into the land. 
And so now we read about this in Deuteronomy, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. God says, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land. You don't want to obey me and, and, and enjoy the land in which I have prepared and readied and ensured that it is yours already for the taking. If you don't want that, then I'm just going to go ahead and have to kind of burn the dross off a little bit. I'm going to have to temper you a little bit. I'm going to have to, to, to purify you a little bit. And he goes on to say here in this passage that he led these, he says, I led you, yes, these 40 years in the wilderness to what? Humble thee. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? For 40 years now, he's led them through the wilderness. And the first statement he makes concerning this wilderness journey, it was for the purpose of humbling. What do you mean? I thought we were rebellious. I thought it was because of unbelief. I thought the reason why we didn't enter was because of unbelief, not a lack of humility. Why would you have to teach us humility Because every time there's rebellion and disobedience, it is a direct result of pride. It always is. When I think I know better than God, then it is arrogance and pride. When I tell God that I'm not going to obey Him, I'm going to do things my way, I'm saying, I know better than you do. That's pride. And so in this particular case, He says, I led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee Watch this. To know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So he says, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know. What does he want them to know now? Here it is. That man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, that's a mouthful. That's not just a play on words. See, God wants you and I to know the same thing. What do you mean? He wants us to know, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know something. I'm going to leave you out in that wilderness 40 years. I'm going to provide for you, yes, through manna. I'm going to humble you and I'm going to suffer you to hunger. I'm going to feed you with that manna that you don't even understand yet. You don't not even get in the whole picture. But I'm going to do all that. Because I want you to know something. That man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. You say, well, that's good stuff. It is good stuff, but really, let's think about this for a second. God wants you and I to know the same thing, that man doth not live by bread alone. You say, what are you getting at? What what makes this so important? I think I understand what you're saying. I I think maybe I'm going to take it maybe just a little further maybe than you're even thinking. And I might not, but I think I might. Watch this. God wants us to be more dependent upon the promises of God than the provision of God. Now, now again, I, I just, it hit me as I'm reading through this, and I'm thinking, wait a second, what's he trying to really teach these people then, that he might make them know something? Through all of this, that man shall not live by bread alone. You say, yeah, it's saying that you need God, you need God, you need God. No, no, that, that's not just what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that God's word, see, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. He's saying that the promises of God, you ought to be more dependent on them than you are the actual provision. Do you know that most people trust in provision rather than promises? 
It's easy to trust in provision when it's available. I mean, it's when we've got food on the table and stuff and we say to God, you're so good, God. You're so wonderful, God. Look at this provision. Man, my car's running now. It's wonderful. Look, my house, it's got heat and air. Look, I mean to tell you, God, you're providing for me. I've got a job that pays so well. God's so good. God's so good. And you know, if we're not careful, we're not really trusting God or his promises. We're trusting his provision. Oh, we're talking ourselves into a, big, a good game. And what I mean, we're talking a good game. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is good. He's so great. Let him take away the provision. And let's see how much you love him then. Let's see how much you praise him then. Let's find out when we're stuck in a prison somewhere like Paul and Silas, whether or not we can then still praise God. We can still sing. You know why? Because most of the time we're really worshiping the provision and we're, and we're actually trusting and depending on the provision than we are the promises. See, the problem with provision is that it runs out. The promises of God are always sufficient and bountiful. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, that was just a little side note, okay? So we're back kind of where we were, but we're dealing now with David again. Remember, he brought some of this on himself. And we see here that it seems that God brought this into David's life in order that he might be corrected and redirected. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, if I had, um, if I could take a poll of the crowd, and I could ask everybody, well, is chastening good or bad? And I know right now that in this crowd of faithful churchgoers, that we would all give the right answer. It's good. We would. Because that's exactly what we're supposed to say. And we have learned in our lives, whether it's at the DMV, whether it's in front of a counselor at school, or whomever or wherever we might be, we always, we like to give the answer they're expecting and that they're looking for. Because it usually ends in our favor that way. I would contend that although we know that chastening is good for us, there are many of us that really want it at all in our lives. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, not real, I'm, I'm not real keen on it. And yet, the Bible tells me how important it is. In this particular case, for David's situation, it's going to prove to be extremely important. And you know, we're given some contrast between two different characters in the Bible that help us to see the contrast between this element of judgment versus chastening. And it's, about, it's between the two characters we've been talking about a little bit earlier on. On one hand, we have Saul, and of course, he forsook the authority of God, and he would come face to face with God's judgment. We know this. On the other hand, we have David, who was confronted with the chastening of the Lord. And in these two men, we're going to see a difference between judgment and chastening. Judgment, in the case of Saul, we'll see that his life and his career were, I mean, completely terminated as punishment for his offenses. 
On the other hand, we have David. The rod was lifted to correct David, not to destroy him. To bring him back, not to drive him away forever. To fit him for service and not to bring him to ruin. It could be that some of your troubles are your own fault. That's a possibility. It could be that some of my troubles are my own fault. Let's be honest. Probably there's not one of us in the room that hasn't made a bad financial decision at some point in our life. Now, it may not have cost us as much as some people, but we've made a bad financial decision. And then we find ourselves in a very difficult spot. Whose fault is that? Well, that was that company that lent me the money. That was that credit card. They shouldn't give credit cards to college students, and I was a stupid college student. Those student loans are ripoffs, and this is a bad problem. And we made decisions. And in the end, really, we can blame anybody we want, but truly it falls on our own shoulders, really. We made the decisions, right? And so in a sense, that's partly, that's in a, for the most part, just like David, for the most part, it's our own fault. And yet, God in his grace and mercy, all, boy, he just reaches down and he cleans us up and he helps us to get moving forward again. And if we apply his principles, then he uh, just kind of seems to just work a miracle Genesis 42, 21 says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, that we saw the anguish of his soul when we besought us, when he besought us. And we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. I'm talking about Joseph's brothers now, remember? Throwing him in a pit. They're jealous of Joseph. They throw him in a pit. He ends up where? Potiphar's house. Then he finds himself in a prison. But before it's over with, he's running Pharaoh's household, the whole nation, financially taking care of business. And his brothers come face to face with him. And they say, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw, their anguish of his, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Sometimes there's distress that comes upon us. It's our own fault. Now listen, you can blame whoever you want. But sometimes the trouble we find ourselves in is a direct result of a bad decision that we've made. Something we've said, something we've done, an attitude that we possess, a spirit that we hold dear, I'm telling you, you have to be so careful because it's easy to convince ourselves that it's got to be everybody and anybody else but us. In one sense, well, I don't want to go there. So nonetheless, because of time, we need to move on. But Joseph's brothers realized that their actions brought it on. You know, Newton's third law of motion, it says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now, I think the word therefore is interesting. It says in the passage 42.21 again, and we would not hear, talking about Joseph, we wouldn't listen to him, therefore is this stress come upon us, this distress. I think the therefore points to the fact that God permits that testing and trial for a purpose. 
He's going to allow that in their life because he wants to refine them. He wants to help them. You know, it's interesting how God allows things in our life. You know, we have the action, sin, rebellion, disobedience. We have a reaction driven to God. And, and, and that's so important to understand. And in the book of Judges, you, we could take the time to read Judges 2, 13 through 19. You take the time to read it maybe later tonight. But in that second chapter of Judges, we're going to see a pattern develop. We see a pattern, the action, they followed after false gods. The reaction, they were sold into the hands of their enemies. As a result of being sold in the hands of their enemies, they take action. They turn back to the Lord. But then we see the reaction. They turn back to the Lord. God sends them judges to deliver them. But before long, they step back and they turn back to idols. And then again, they are sold into the hands of their enemies. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That is why we preach and teach as parents all the time. Be very wise in your decisions, young people. Do not make decisions without seeking counsel, especially mom and dad's wisdom. Be very careful. They've experienced some life. They may have some insights that you have yet to come across. Because your simple actions will have an equal and opposite reaction. Every single one. Whether it's good or bad. Nothing is really neutral. Nothing's neutral. It's either going to have a positive or a negative effect. We have to be so careful with that. And in David's case, well, he made some decisions. And unfortunately, it led to the place he found himself. And unfortunately, the place that the men found themselves as well. And yet God is going to use that situation now. He's going to take what seems to be a horrible situation, and indeed is, and he's going to use it in David's life in order that he might correct and redirect him. I don't care why you're in the trouble you're in today. If you will simply submit to God and say, Lord, you are right, I'm wrong. Lord, it is up to you. Whether I did anything wrong or not, I'm accepting what's in my life because I know you must be simply correcting me or redirecting me or refining me or tempering me or preparing me for something. And that's what God does in our lives. I don't know why he couldn't have come up with a less painful way. But he chooses to do this. Think about Jesus. Even Christ himself understood what this kind of rejection and pain was. And he used it in the Lord's life. We're not better than our master, are we? May God help us to just trust God with these issues in our life. But David's trouble was in a very real sense his own fault. May we not allow those things to happen in our life. But even if we do, let's make sure that we allow God to have his way and that we come away Not bitter toward God, but better toward Him. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We just love you. We we need you. And we just praise you for your goodness in our life. There's no doubt, Lord, that we are just mere clay. We understand that we are weak, but you are strong. 
how we desperately need to depend on you and lean on you. We can't accomplish what we need to unless we do that. We can't be molded and made into what you'd have us to be, the image of Christ otherwise. Be glorified in our lives. And Lord, whatever's going on in a life that's represented here, Lord, may you help each of us just to examine our hearts. And Lord, there may not be anything that they have done to deserve what they're going through. But either way, may we accept it as from your hand and allow you to have your perfect will and way in our life. And may we allow you to mold us and make us. To even redirect us if necessary. Steer us, God, that we may land on heaven's shore safely. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. As the